Previously, on Saratoga Lights. Everything okay? He's ruthless. And he seems to act with impunity. Hey, Rich! Some no-good vagrants are out in those woods. You need to run them off. If I'm going to be elected sheriff one day, the public needs to see that I'm available to him. Bradford's the one you want. He robbed all those people, not us. Please. <laughs> because Hardigan's always available to the public. Deputy Sheriff, drop the weapon. He hasn't responded to a call in eye on a decade. I'll return shortly, Magnolia. Keep the cornbread warm for me. Saratoga Lights, Season 2, Episode 7, The Old Get-Together. <laughs> Tucked away in the corner of Shady Grove on a sunny May afternoon. The sweet sounds of the Pennington family band emanate from an old country church. As the music drifts through the live oak and the cedar trees that surround the church, the front door opens and Jenny walks out onto the porch, carrying a small bouquet of flowers. A boisterous woman with a fiery energy to match, she looks out around the yard for her friend. Jenny pokes her head around the side of the building and sees Maggie, clad in her plain white dress, peeking in through the last window of the church. She climbs down off the porch, struggling to maintain her balance and careful not to have her own dress catch on an errant nail. What are you doing? <laughs> Just looking at Ava. You look so cute. You can probably get a better view inside, you know, where everyone's waiting for you. What do you think he's thinking right now? Go ask him, stupid. While you're at it, exchange your vows and, you know, get married and stuff. <laughs> it's really happening. The two embrace as the band plays on. Inside the church, the faces of the congregants beam with joy at the occasion, as Avid stands in the pulpit with a grin stretching across his face in anticipation of his bride. Come on. This is like the third time they played the song and it's putting people to sleep. <laughs> On that day, Maggie Sewell never could have imagined the tragedy that would eventually befall their family and make her a widow before the age of 30. Nor could she imagine having to visit Sheriff Hartigan in the wake of her husband's funeral and ask for justice. But here she sits. A bottle of whiskey sits on a desk between them all but attached to the hand of the man that holds it. Sheriff Hardigan pours himself a drink and feels every drop as it descends down into his belly. I wanted to thank you for the arrangement you sent. Well, it's the least I could do. Avit was a fine deputy. Damn tragedy what happened. He was a good man. That he was. That he was. Hardigan drinks his whiskey. He offers some to Maggie, who declines. How is the investigation progressing? 
I've got all my deputies chasing down leads, boots on the pavement, ears to the ground. This whole department is devoted to finding whoever is responsible for this heinous act. So don't worry your pretty little head about it. We'll catch those dirty polecats soon enough. Do you have any suspects? Yeah, we're still in the initial phase of the investigation, trying to establish a timeline of events. It's been two weeks' time, and you still don't know what happened when? Uh, Timelines is tricky, my dear. If we make assumptions, chase down bad lead, we'll be left with our peckers flapping in the wind. Pardon my French. Hardigan pours another drink, not offering one to Maggie on this occasion, knowing she'll decline. Instead, he offers a polite smile and a silent prayer that she'll leave him to his business sooner rather than later. (laughs) Did you speak to Casey? He saw the suspects camping behind his shop that night. Or what about Nancy? What did Avid say to her when he called for backup? Something about those robbery suspects, correct? Like I said before, Sugar, we've got the whole department. Nancy! Now, now hold on. Nancy is doing important business right here. You're lazy, Hardigan, but you're not dumb. I know you have a suspect, and if you won't tell me, then I'll find out on my own. Hardigan blushes, dumbfounded at what he views as an unwarranted attack on his character, and, more specifically, hurt that his repeated attempts to act as a father figure to Maggie have historically been met with rebuke, up to and including right now. Maggie, for her part, never breaks eye contact with the man, which only further flusters Hardigan. The tension between them is palpable, as the two appear to be at a standoff. It's only broken when Nancy finally appears in the doorway, having shuffled down the hallway, still holding the roller to the typewriter, which she was in the middle of disassembling and cleaning when Maggie first called for her. Uh, thank you, Nancy. You've been very helpful. You got it, Sheriff. Nancy leaves, more confused than when she arrived. Don't worry your pretty little head about it, darling. As God is my witness, I'll personally see that justice be done. God as my witness. I am not your darling, and I'm not your dear. You want a timeline? Here it is. You interrupt our dinner and send him out to handle a call because Lord knows you can't be bothered to do it yourself. He calls for backup and gives a possible ID on the suspects, but before any of your deputies can respond, he's ambushed out there, left to die alone while you sit in the comfort of your den. Five days later, you send me flowers. That's the timeline. Now, why don't you tell me who killed my husband? Hardigan sits back, resigned. He looks at the obstinate woman sitting across from him knowing how much of a ruckus she'll raise, unless these questions are answered to her satisfaction. He opens the bottom drawer of his desk and fishes out a stack of documents clipped together, lacking in any system of organization. Uh, I got a tip from Sheriff LaFleur that he spotted a couple of fellers going out around Leander that could be our suspects. A couple of queer boys calling themselves the Pistol Brothers. Are they really brothers? Oh, God knows. Say they robbed 50 bars, banks, and barrios from here to Odessa. There's one thing I am certain of. You won't find a meaner, crueler group of savages than those goddamn pistol brothers. 
Well, let's go get them. <laughs> oh, no, my dear. That's out of my jurisdiction. I'm coordinating with LaFleur, and once he apprehends them, he'll let me know. <laughs> After all that's happened, you still can't be bothered to get out from behind this desk and actually protect the people who elected you. Now, hold on. I don't need to explain myself to you anymore. I'm doing everything in my power, and I have been more than cordial with you, something that cannot be said on your behalf. By all accounts, these Pistol Brothers have gone native, gallivanting around the San Gabriel River for days now. Should I go stumbling around unfamiliar wilderness, tracking these scumsuckers like, like some maverick lawman? No. I think I'll follow protocol and allow LaFleur and his boys to do their job. David wouldn't stand idly by while men such as this roam the state. And he certainly wouldn't surrender his responsibility to some other lawman because he was too afraid. Maggie stands in protest and looks down at Hardigan, unable to hide her disdain in the slightest. Neither will I. Over down Pasadena Way, where oil refineries outnumber churches two to one, a different kind of investigation is being carried out. A rotund man, both in size and speech, stumbles out of the dance hall, clearly inebriated by a variety of drinks and substances consumed over the course of the evening. Besides being known only by a cryptic title of The Keeper, by those with which he conducts business. Not much is known about this man, though his finely tailored suit and newly upholstered 82 Corvette do betray one of his many secrets. He's not from around these parts. As the keeper makes his way across the parking lot, he spots a plainly dressed man with a cravat wrapped tightly around his neck, watching him from the shadows. Ah, preacher! He recognizes the observer instantly. To what do I owe the pleasure? I need you to take me to him. Now, come on, preacher, we've been over this. Can you imagine what would happen if I just threw open the door and let you in? That door swings both ways, my friend. I have a responsibility. What kind of man would I be if I shirked my duties? You're not a man at all, remember? Now, that hurts. I have nothing but respect for you, Preacher, yet you continue to insult me. Do you even know the full extent of what he's done? What he's going to do? Do you? I think I'm a little more experienced when it comes to the matters of life and death and that which falls between. You're being played for a fool. Thank you for your concern, Preacher. If it's any consolation, I will be extra vigilant in my duties henceforth. Jenny wipes the sleep from her eyes, still stuck between a dream and waking. As the blue moonlight shines through her bedroom window, she glances over to the antique clock resting on her nightstand. But before she can judge where the small and big hands lay across the face, she hears the same noise that initially woke her from her sleep. A light knocking on the door. 
knowing that nothing good happens this time of night, save for that which happens in the comfort of one's own bedroom. Jenny grabs a baseball bat propped up in the corner and walks ever so lightly to the front door of the house, avoiding every warped board in the floor along the way so as to not alert the caller. She looks out the peephole and sees Maggie, illuminated under the porch light, wearing a short-sleeved tan uniform adorned with patches and pins, slightly oversized for her frame. On her hip sits a well-worn black leather holster with Avit's revolver resting comfortably inside. Maggie offers a raised hand in greeting to the door, as if she could somehow sense Jenny on the other side. Jenny unlatches the security chain and opens the door to greet her friend. Hey, is everything okay? I have to go see to some business. Business? What business? Just something I need to do. Now? Yes. Do you want me to go with you? I can attend to it myself. Okay. Maggie pulls an envelope out of her back pocket and offers it to Jenny. Can you give this to Hardigan next time you see him? Jenny takes the envelope from her, freshly sealed with Hardigan, neatly printed across the front. Okay. I have about a million questions right now. Like, why are you at my door at midnight? Why are you wearing a gun? What's the letter? Are you in trouble? Do you see where all this is going? It sounds like you want a lengthy explanation about everything I intend to do. Yeah, stupid. I don't have time right now. Someday soon, but not now. Can you at least answer one question? Okay. Are you about to do something that Avid wouldn't want you to do? It's nothing Avid himself wouldn't do. That doesn't answer my question. Why do you have a gun? Sorry. One question only. I love you. Maggie puts her arms around her friend and holds tight. I love you too. They hug. Maggie walks down the steps and gets back into her car. From her porch, Jenny watches over her as she backs out of the driveway. Maggie offers one final wave before driving out of the neighborhood and turning left onto the adjacent highway. The glow from the headlights quickly fades. The clouds move across the moon. Jenny is left in the darkness of the summer night. This was in Texas. Saratoga Lights is written and directed by Randall LaRue. Audio recording and engineering by Matthew David Rudd. This episode featured the voice talents of Jordan Merritt, John Nichols, Caitlin Elizabeth, Brooke Chalmers, Heath Allen, and Matthew David Rudd. Until next time. I've lived in Saratoga my whole life. My mom was a lunch lady at West Harden. Go Oilers! What I love about Harden County is the people. We're neighborly. Texans are friendly people by nature, but over in Houston, they're not neighborly anymore. Stores are being robbed, drugs are being peddled. 
My sister Trish over in Pearland told me about this little girl got abducted by a couple devil worshippers. I'd heard the same thing about Dallas. It's just changing, not for the better. My husband Larry was saying it's probably time to start locking the doors at night. It's sad, seeing the decline of morality. It's taking hold of the state. Hardin County has a lot of challenges in front of us the next four years, and there's no one better suited to meet those challenges than John Hardigan. We need someone with experience, someone to tell the criminals and illegals and devil cults that their ilk are not welcome in our community. We need someone to stand up to the liberal agenda and protect the family, first and foremost. And that man is John Hardigan. This November, make the right choice for Hardin County and for our families. I'm Sheriff John Hardigan, and I approve this message. <laughs> Excuse me.